Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mexican Soccer Show. This is an hour-long podcast discussing all things Mexican football. Today we're covering Diego Coca taking charge of El Tri. We're talking about Europeos like Santi Jimenez. Talk about managerial changes in Liga Mekis. An update on Julian Araujo to Barcelona and much more. And helping me out today is my co-host, Lizzie Bacherano. Lizzie, how are you doing this Monday? Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. I love being on the show. So I asked you, so we had... We had some Wi-Fi issues before we, we started recording. And I was asking you, I was like, oh, did you watch the Super Bowl? And then like it kind of went in and out and cut in and out. But did you catch the Super Bowl? Did you enjoy the Super Bowl? Did you did you watch the, the halftime show? What, what, what were your thoughts on, on yesterday? I did it all. I watched, I enjoyed briefly, and then watched the halftime show. And if it was just too long for me, um, <laughs> I'm good for the first two quarters. And then by the third, I'm... The energy's gone, but they the Chiefs did have a really, really good second half. So that was great. Um, was rooting for the Chiefs. So I won there. And yeah, the halftime show, I, I thought was good. I know it's controversial now, apparently, but I thought the halftime show was fun. Also, clearly she's pregnant, right? Yeah, she's like, pregnant. Really? So like, so I don't blame her for not, you know, jumping around and you know, bouncing around. Like she's just trying to be careful. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I was worried about her when they like put her on that, when they put her on that platform. I was like, yeah, clearly you're pregnant. You got to be careful there. Also, like she was suspended in the middle of a stadium surrounded yeah. by people singing a song. Like what, what more do you want from her? Jumping like jumping off a cliff, like <laughs> planting a cactus, like in the hand. Like, I don't, I don't understand. The only thing that I'm bummed out, the only criticism is that she didn't play SOS, which is my favorite oh my God, yeah. from way back in the day. But and anywho. Are you kidding? <laughs> that was but anywho, before this turns into the Super Bowl halftime podcast, oh, let's actually <laughs> dive into Mexican football. And let's start with Diego Coca taking charge of El Tri. So last Thursday, Tigres basically confirmed the news through what I'm calling was a uh, you're not breaking up with me. I'm breaking up with you yeah. statement and uh, a press okay. conference in which they, which they confirmed Diego Coca was dropped by the team after learning them. His decision joined Mexico by Friday. The FMF uh, then made it official. So Lizzie, first off, I'm going to ask you, you know, we, you've now had a few days to sit with this about, you know, Diego, Diego Coca becoming the next manager for L3. Do you see this as a step forward or a step back for, for L3? What comes to mind when you think about that? I do want to say step forward. I don't think it's a step back. Okay. Okay. As you know, it wasn't my first choice. I would have right. gone with Jaime Osano and what he did with the Olympic team and everything he could have done there. But I'm not completely upset with the choice. I think it, he was a late front runner. It was the focus was on Almada. But I think they're very similar to a certain extent. I do appreciate the fact that he's had a career in Mexico for quite a while and he has an appreciation for the country. And his statements during his presentation were great. I think the conversation, the press conference, he knows Mexican soccer. That's not a doubt in my mind. He's been coaching mm-hmm. for a while. Obviously, we can't dispute the titles that he got with Atlas. But my problem lies way beyond a coach. I do not think one figure as a manager can fix all the problems that he right. has at this point. Yeah. I don't even think the front office can do that. I mean, I do think they have the power to lead and make structural changes, but it starts at the root. So the right. idea that a coach can be the 
be all end all of the situation is not realistic. So I'm not expecting miracles as I know much of the fan base is at this point, but I think that's where the problem really lies between the fans and the team is this unrealistic expectations that once a new head coach comes in, the generational change is done, the scouting process will be complete, that new figures will come about. And obviously that's not correct because it'd be to a certain extent rude to think that Diego Coca should have that all on his shoulders when there's so much more for him to focus on and then have a whole department or federation to take care of that. So I'm excited. I, I do think he'll be interested. I'm excited because I like to have hope. I know Amy (laughs) laughs at me for this, but I like to be positive when I can. And yeah, I mean, I'm excited. Nations League is coming about. I think he knows our players. He knows our young generations. He obviously knows the figures in Europe. So we're moving forward, hopefully. Yeah, that's, I think you kind of, I mean, the way that you feel is the way that I kind of feel. I feel as if it's not, a huge step forward. I would say it's a small step forward. Yeah. It's not a step back. And I'm tempted to say that Mexico's kind of remaining at the same spot that they were for a number of reasons. Like you just said, as you mentioned, there's, you know, he's, he's not going to be a miracle worker. It's not like overnight things are suddenly going to become magically fixed with the Mexican national team. But at the very least on the field, you know, this is a manager who does connect well with his players. We saw that with Atlas in a title run. And when I was you know, covering him when he was over in Tijuana, when he used to coach Cholos, like, and I, when I listen to his press conferences and when you listen to what he said at Atlas, he does come off a little bit, almost like a motivational speaker sometimes. And he ins- likes to instill this idea of wanting to his players to play with, you know, with pride and with heart and tactically defensively solid. You know, he's very organized. And I think going forward, I think he's actually a little underrated with how well he does with direct play and, you know, and, and, and this pressing kind of soccer. Now, that being said, tactics aside, motivation aside, how how well does that translate to Mexico is my question, especially let's say, you know, with the strategy that he had with Atlas and you saw a little bit with Degas where you with some narrow wins. um, How's that going to go up against a CONCACAF opponent? How's that going to go up against a team that's going to say, you want Mexico, hold on to the ball as much as you would like. We're also going to play defensively. And how how is then? Coca going to utilize his tactics in that situation. That's, that's what worries me a little bit. You know, I think it's also, it's at the same time, it's also dumb to think that, oh, you know, he's going to use the same exact tactics as nothing's going to change because he's, you know, he's obviously a, a clever manager. He can change his tactics. He can alter things, but at least from what I've seen so far, it suggests that he is a defensive coach, a pragmatic coach who. I sometimes think has questionable decision-making with his subs and when he makes those subs too. So it's not the most exciting hiring. I feel like, like you, I'm, I'm, I'm always going to be an optimist. So I'm always going to feel like I'm really looking forward to this new era, this new world cup cycle, but I'm, I, 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 but I'm hesitant to say that it's, it is a perfect hiring. It's a good hiring. It's a decent hiring. It's not a perfect hiring for L3. And I'm not sure if you feel that same way too. Um, I agree in that it's not the most exciting hire. I do. But I think particularly with like national teams, you don't necessarily need exciting. I think if you have a club 
you have that time to try things out and be explosive. And if it doesn't work, you have next week. I think given the short time span that you spend with these players between FIFA windows and these small camps, you go for the secure, which I mm-hmm. think he would. I mean, I joked around when I heard he was going to be head coach that no matter what, we're not going to get scored on. So because of his tactics <laughs> and his ways and his line of five. Um, but yeah, I think it also depends on the moment, like the moment the players are at. Mm-hmm. That's going to be key for him. I think the problem, and I don't want to bring too much um, Tata Martino, but I think his problem was he fell in love with the team and he yeah. fell in love with the tactics of a team that then didn't do so well and he never adjusted. Mm-hmm. But where would we be if that 2019-2020 team was in that same position come the World Cup? We -hmm. would have been hailing Tata Martino. Maybe we wouldn't even gone to Al Quinto Partido. So it depends on so many factors that I almost don't want to put all the pressure on him just yet. But to me, it seems that he's willing to adapt, which is great. He's willing to sought after new talents and younger generational talent in Liga Mekis, which is great. And maybe he'll just be that key for that generational change overall, which was my fear with Piojo was that he felt he owed so much to that 2014, 2018 generation that he would bring them all back, depend right. on them once again and be like, thank you for what you did to my career in the past. This is what I'll do for you now. Yeah. Whereas like Goka doesn't, necessarily have that bond with Guardado or Ochoa. So we might see new figures in and we have about a month and a half, a month-ish until Nations League. So we'll see. And that kind of leads me into our next topic because I know you and I are both hesitant to feel like, well, we'll see how exciting it is. But undoubtedly, who is very exciting, Santi Jimenez. Now a starter for, for, for Feyenoord. Feyenoord, Feyenoord. I never know how to pronounce right. Feyenoord. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> uh, but they're first place in Eredivisie. I know how to pronounce that. And over the weekend, he scored his fourth goal in, uh, since January and what turned out to be the game-winning goal for his side. So, Lizzie, for you, is Santi Jimenez, is he the best striker right now for in Mexican soccer? And should he start for Mexico in the, in the Nations League next month? Yes. 100% undoubtedly. I think yes to both. Yes to both. Yes You're starting both. him and, and he is the best striker. Okay. Yes. I think he's such an exciting option way beyond the goals that we knew he was capable of. I think what I appreciate most of him at this point is how well he's adapted to a new league. We knew he was going to do well and we knew he could do well given his position at Cruz Azul. But my concern for him was he's developed within that Cruz Azul Academy and he'd been there for right. such a long time that maybe it was just comfortable and he found his bubble and going abroad was going to be a little bit more difficult. And it was to a certain extent, I know he had to fight for that starting position and there was seniority in certain places, but he fought well, he resisted and now he's there and he's scoring goals. He's doing great. Feyenoord had previously been like that backseat role to Ajax and PSV and now Hmm. They're leaders of the Eredivisie. So that's the most exciting aspect for me, which leads me to think that beyond CONCACAF games or CONCACAF competitions, he can be in a European setting or in a World Cup setting and continue to do well, which mm-hmm. I think we've seen strikers kind of like Henry Martin fall behind when it's new competitors beyond yes. 
Honduras or El Salvador or even United States to a certain extent, you take the player out of the CONCACAF bubble and it's a new playing field. And I don't say that because of lack of European experience. It's just his style and his ways. But something is so dynamic. I think that's what's going to take us to that next level in that position and his ability to shine within La Selección Mexicana. Also, he has like that star power. I'm sorry. He led to a title. He's about to lead Feyenoord to a title, either the cup or the league title. Star. Star power. I I like that you brought that up because it's it's not... It'd be one thing if, let's say, it was a kid who was, let's say, like like an Omar Campos at, at Santos. Mm-hmm. Let's say he's this up and coming player. You know, there's been rumors like maybe he could go abroad. You know, he's not someone who's won a Liga Mekis title just yet. He's not someone who has like star power in Mexico just yet. But let's say he were to move to a, like another Eredivisie team, like a mid table team. And if you were getting consistent minutes, we'd be like, that's good. That's promising. But this yeah. is Santi Jimenez, who was the leading goal scorer for, for Cruz Azul. Yeah right before he left. And also it was like funny while he was still out there in Europe, he was still Cruz Azul's leading goal scorer for quite some time. Actually, let's, 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 be, let's be realistic there. And now, like you said, he he's had to fight for this starting role and he's had this opportunity now to not only do well in the Eredivisie, but for a team that's close to winning a league top, for a team that's undoubtedly the best, you know, in the Netherlands. So that's, that's really exciting. And the thing is too, is that like he has high potential as well. You know, this is a player who's still fairly young, especially when you compare him to the other L3 uh, strikers right now. So I think that's going to be interesting next month, because I think one of the first big tests for Coca is it is he going to take the safe approach and go with Henry Martin? Or is he going to go with something which is a little bit more risky, but I think has a higher potential for for improvement in the, in the future for Mexico if he starts with Santi Jimenez? So I'm one, I think that'll be one of the first big tests for Coca, and I'm, I'm really, really fascinated to, to see what uh, what happens with L3 next month because it's yeah. easy for me to say that I, I that I would start Santi Jimenez, but I would not be surprised at all if Coca were to were to go with a, a starting role for Henry Martin. But that's that's something to keep an eye on there. But Lizzie, you yeah. said uh, before we started recording, you said you wanted to highlight some other Europeos. You know, I was going to highlight Andres Guardado as well. You know, yeah, score the game good. winner. He's 36, captain for Real Betis. But what else? What else? Who else did you want to bring up? Honestly, Edson Alvarez, I think. Yeah, there you go. Ajax right now is super interesting. The fact that he's central defender, uh, central defender. Yeah, Edson Alvarez. What? Like, (laughs) not only do I think that's phenomenal because he's doing a great job, but that gives us so many more options Mm -hmm. for La Selección Mexicana because I'm sure head coaches have seen him and and wanted him to play in that position prior. But it's different Mm -hmm. when you work at that in training day in and day out rather than mm-hmm. these camps and short two week stints with your national team. So having him strengthen those qualities with Ajax to then bring that back to the camp. So exciting. I, yes, I'm yeah. really excited to see him keep playing at that position and have those options. I think obviously with Coca style and kind of Moreno's exit of the national <laughs> team, you can have a strong back line, I would honestly even say having Johan Vasquez, Edson, and then Montes. So, hey, I like that, but I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot though. Who's the starting defensive midfielder then, or what do you, what does that midfield look like if you have if you move Edson Alvarez out of there? Because I like what you're saying right there too. But then, 
I don't know. There's a, there, there's a, there's a presence that's missing in the midfield there. I don't, I don't know. I, I like it too, but. I know, but you have, you do have Eric Gutierrez. Yes. You have Luis Chavez. You have Eric Sanchez. I think you have Orbelin. Like, I, I think there are options. I think mm-hmm. that was a conversation I, I believe we had during the World Cup was that we had too many options in the midfield that no one really could shine on their own because yeah. it was such a saturated place. Yeah. I don't know. Moving moving Edson back and fitting into Coca style, I think now you have that that risk to play out in the midfield. And then yeah. up top, I would just put um Chucky Lozano and Santi Jimenez. Yeah. No, I mean, you know what? You you mentioned a potential, like it looks like you're potentially saying something like a, a five, three, two. And, and you know what? Knowing uh Coca, that's not out of the question. We could see a five three two, or maybe it's more of a three five two considering Mexico and they'll be the favorites in these two upcoming games. So it'll probably feel more like a three, five, two in the attack, but that is a possibility there. And you do start to think about the tactical variations right there yeah. with maybe Edson still it's an almost like he would still kind of play that defensive midfielder role because in that defensive midfield role with Mexico, he almost did look like a central defender. Sometimes, yeah. He would right? come back quite often. I think yeah. my concern with the Nations League matches, Koga and European players is the line that needs to be drawn with these European figures. Yeah. I personally, I don't know if you'll take that risk, obviously, but I would call European players under 30, which becomes a risk, I know, and ruffle a couple feathers because I think the safe bet for him is to say, well, for Nations League, I'm not going to call anyone from Europe, have them in their moment, and then when gold com- comes around, then I'll call everybody back. Yeah, And then obviously that gives him more time to decide what he'll do with these veteran figures. Mm-hmm. But I think right off the bat, you need Santi in. You need, obviously you have to call Jorge Sanchez, even if he's not getting um, a lot of time with Ajax right now. But it's mm-hmm. on Alvarez, Eric Gutierrez, call those figures in. And honestly, again, thank you for your service. I know Andres Guadalupe just scored and he's doing great. But not because they have a, like they're playing well right now. Does it mean in three years they should be considered for another World Cup? So right, right, right. Start thinking of it now. I, I my concern is always, oh, we'll leave it for then, and obviously once the World Cup comes around, we'll think of these new young players. No, I think it starts now. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. I agree, and also because there aren't going to be any friendlies before the Nations League. I and I think we I mean, no offense against you know these opponents in the Nations League, but Mexico is going to be the heavy favorite. So I think you could afford to leave out some of the more experienced players and say, hey, let's use this as an opportunity um, to give chances for some of the younger names and give chance for some of the younger names to really impress Coca. I think that, that that's another thing as well. It's almost like a, like a tryout of sorts ahead of the Gold Cup. So I hope he does that. Will he do that? <laughs> we'll see. Um, We'll see. We'll see. But uh, but any any other uh, Europeos that you wanted to highlight uh, before we talk about some managerial changes in, in, in Liga Mekis? Honestly, I think I'm a little upset over the situation that's going on in PSV with Eric Gutierrez. I don't right. think it has absolutely anything to do with his talent. I do think, unfortunately, Ruth Belnis Roy over at PSV is indecisive with his starting 11 and He's inconsistent, which has obviously led to inconsistent results, but that's kind of pulling away at his confidence, which is concerning. 
because it has nothing to do with skill. Like he could be week in and week out that starting um, midfielder, but he's mm-hmm. not. So yeah. my concern is he'll get to the national team setting with that broken confidence and then not show up on the field. Yeah. So, I mean, again, not the reason why people should, or Mexican players should not take the risk to go to Europe. That happens and you're still learning, but that's, that's sometimes part of the process too, right? That's sometimes part of the problem. I mean, we saw, I mean, unfortunately, you know, Jimenez after his injury, you know, he hasn't been the same, but you know, for a while he was a backup at Benfica. Things didn't go well at Atletico Madrid. And, you know, there are a lot of question marks about him. And then suddenly at Wolves, you know, and then he became one of the top players in the EPL for a short amount of time. Like it was really, really exciting to see that. And with Eric, but, oh, what a beautiful time that was. But what now I know. <laughs> Uh, but with Eric Gutierrez, it's been tough for him to, to get consistent moments as a, as a starter. You know, he does, you know, get those occasional minutes, but like, ideally he would be getting, he would be a consistent starter for them. And I agree with what you said that I feel like it's not really his fault because when you do watch him with PSV, he's pretty good. (laughs) You know, he does get those minutes, you know, he doesn't get consistent, you know, starts, but I feel like he plays consistently well when given those opportunities. So Hopefully it's just something he has to power through and then gets that uh, opportunity to potentially be a starter. Or you know what? Maybe uh, during the summer window, potentially looks at, at a different team as well. So I don't know. So, something to keep an eye very on. Very exciting I think. time. No, I think the upcoming CONCACAF tournaments are very exciting. I think if used correctly, and obviously correctly is an opinion to me, but correctly to take those risks, experiment with young players, with all these new figures that we have on the rise then I would change my answer to say, I think we are taking a huge leap forward, but time will tell. (laughs) All right, let's now move on to managerial changes in Liga Mekis. So so Piojo, just a quick little rundown. So Piojo is now with Cholos. Tigres are now being led by inter-manager Chima Ruiz after the exit of Diego Coca. And then over at Cruz Azul, my colleagues over at ESPN Mexico are saying that Potro Gutierrez is about to be fired. So Lizzie, for you, from these... Um, all this happened within the last like six to seven days from these changes, from these you know, alterations, uh, when it comes to these coaches, Liga Mekis, which one stands out to you the most? Honestly, I think El Potro Gutierrez not being fired earlier was yeah. more of a surprise. I think it was great timing and I would have been extremely surprised had it not been done this week because we know Cruz Azul has um, a little bit of a break so it's a week and a half for them to recover see what's going on and then have an interim manager to lead up that first game mm-hmm. but yeah I think that was an expected surprise I did not think they would fall this deep down the rabbit hole I mean yeah. Yoho, I, I kind of assumed once he was not announced as um, national team head coach, I was like, just give it a minute until he's back. It, I think it, it was literally probably about like 30 minutes to an hour. After yeah. The, like, you can tell me. Like, I think I, I wrote a piece recently. Uh, it was a Valentine's Day themed Liga Mekis recap, recap. And it was just like, I was like, yeah, Piojo, he's, he's, he's settling, isn't he? He's, he's, look, he's looking for a rebound and uh, Mexico didn't work out. So now he's with Cholos, a, a former lover. But uh, but anyway, you're yeah. saying <laughs> no, literally, it was it was not a surprise. I honestly thought that once he was told no by the Mexican Federation, that he closed the deal with Cholos and they didn't announce it because once they did, 
people would know obviously that he wasn't the national team head coach. So they waited a little bit. It was what, 10 minutes after. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> um, that was quite expected. I figured he'd be in another um, Liga Mekis team quite soon. Mm-hmm. Ruiz, I think, well, what was the team going to do with about five right. minutes left to spare with how everything happened quite quickly? Yeah. I do want to say, I think I was extremely taken aback by his emotional and passionate response after the 4-2 win over Pumas and expressing how long he'd waited to be in this position and how he's not like an impromptu solution, but more so he's been training for this for 14 years. I didn't see that part coming. Um, I don't, I think his mentality of not considering himself an inner manager and more so settling with the team to get that position to be his own. Very interesting approach. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, very respected given what that fan base has gone through for the last, what week or 48 hours. <laughs> yeah. I, to me, it feels like years ago that Coca was announced, but I know it wasn't. Um, so yeah, I think his passion will melt well with the team and the fan base. And I hope he does well. I think he will, but I really hope he does well. I'm glad that you brought up his post-game press conference because, you know, it was, it did feel, uh, I don't know, like I, I was watching, you know, it was just me watching from afar, but it felt like kind of an emotional game for for Thigas. Just like all, it, it was, you know, coming off the back end of, you know, Coca, you know, you know leaving the team to go to, to go to Mexico. And then the press conference on Thursday where they basically said, you know, Tigres are first ahead of, ahead of L3 and they didn't mm. want someone. And then, like I said, like it, and they had that statement, which basically said like, you know, Coca's not breaking up with us. We're breaking up with him. And mm-hmm. actually I think, I, I think Tigres fans should feel quite excited to have someone like Ruiz, like have someone like Hugo Ayala too, as like part of, part of the, like uh, the staff, because I, I don't know. It feels like there was a, a little bit more of a freedom that they were playing with, um, in that four to two win. And then it like the way that it was capped off with, with, uh, the golazo by Gignac, they kind of said like, and especially because it was four goals too, because, you know, earlier, you know, if this was a Coca game probably would have been like, you know, one, nothing win would have been a, uh, probably like a more, you know, you know, tough, you know, result, a little bit more narrow result, but in this match, I felt like there was a little bit more of a freedom uh, for Tigres. And in the first game, the post Coca era, they put these four goals out there. And like you said, the post game press conference, where I think uh, Chimo Ruiz was talking about, you know, that he's coached, you know, at, at the youth national team level, that he's been an assistant. It's not like he's someone who just like, emerged out of nowhere. He has been working up uh, towards this for quite some time. So, yeah, it'll be really, really interesting to see what uh, what happens with Tigres going forward. I do think he'll stay for quite a little bit, especially if the results keep giving. I don't think the directive will chase a very specific manager at the moment, Mm -hmm. especially given the situation. I mean, it it seems just a short while ago that they got rid of Viejo Herrera and now Golka came in and then right away he leaves. So I think they they want to tone it down for quite a second. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah, give their fan base a stability and... And he seems to be that fit. Now, if obviously results continue and he continues to deliver these passionate conversations, I don't know what else the fan base or the directive will want. Yeah, no. And I think I think that's an excellent point. Um, and then elsewhere uh, in the Liga Mekis weekend, actually, there was a, when I was working my recap, I felt like there was a lot 
to highlight and talk about. And you sometimes don't want to leave out, you know, some of the bigger things happening. Like, you know, Henry Martin now has seven goals and the, uh, was able to help get that 2-1 win over Nicaxa. Um, Juarez would have really looked like an emotional, you know, 3-1 victory for them over Santos. I mean, Carlos Salcedo at one point had been part of the celebration. I'm not sure if you saw this, like went over to a fan, asked for a beer, <laughs> took a shot of beer, and then threw it into the crowd. I'm like, all right, guys, you're having a, having a good time Let's there. do it. Yeah, no. And then Victor Guzman getting the golazo for Chivas, the one-on-one draw with Pachuca. The Luca were celebrating their 106th birthday and the 3-1 over Cruz Azul. And then I had to add this into my, uh, my recap. I think the highlight of last week for me uh, was the marriage proposal during halftime of Atlas versus Rayados. It was a zero, it was zero, zero at that point. Um, and then the Atlas fan proposes to his partner. The partner clearly looks a little freaked out. She runs away. <laughs> and then you can see like the Atlas mascot, like hugs the dude who <laughs> got turned down. And then to cap it all off to you, if you think that was already bad, then Monterrey scored two goals in the second half, not less lost two nothing. But for me, that that was the that was a highlight of the league back you speaking for me. Well, there was another proposal at the Club America game against Necaxa. That's right, yeah. There was another proposal. They said yes this yeah. time around. Um, and they had the whole like the eagle there. It was, I believe it was before the match. So I thought that was really cute. Um do you think they think- knew about the other proposal? Do you think if you knew if you saw and you're like and you're like, oh, dude, they just, that guy just got turned down. Should I should I still do this? I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would definitely that would get in my head personally. Yeah, it would definitely yeah, mess with me. Like, uh, no, I think there's two things that categorize this weekend for me. One, I think, was the amazing showcase of goals. I mean, yeah, lots of good goals. Lots of good goals. Was, yeah, there was not short of spectacular goals I mean beyond Guignac I think it was just phenomenal to see and I know it wasn't the result we all wanted but I will never stop being um an advocate for Carlos Acevedo I think his showing against FC Juarez was phenomenal and it's not the first one of this tournament so I mean if Diego Coca doesn't see that and say he needs that starting position in Nations League matches I'll riot that <laughs> all right it's confirmed right here uh, we're gonna we're, we're gonna hold you to that lizzie um oh i will um yeah i mean that 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 save alone you know what i'm talking about that the save where he essentially it's like a fingertip save it hits like the crossbar it hit the crossbar and then like he like as it was falling down he like hit it out again that save alone you look at that and be like all right <laughs> you, you you gotta go to all three man you gotta <laughs> you, you see oh, that oh. and <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but he kind of, his style does remind me of Ochoa's style and his ability to stretch out his body and use literally everything. I I don't know if it was um, the second or third save that he made with his foot. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was unreal. I was like, yes, it does remind me of um, a younger Ochoa. And, yeah. And he was a little bit more on his reflexes. So it's not a drastic change from goalkeeper to goalkeeper. So securing that for the back line, they know his style. I just think he needs more minutes with the national team. Like I, I, at this point, obviously I know um, Ochoa's seniority is holding him back, but other than that, I don't see that restraining factor to keep him from that starting role. 
so when you're writing, and once again, this is a solo Lizzie, right? So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Is that are that's is that in the streets of Miami? Are you gonna fly down to Mexico City, knock on the like? It's how, how, how are you doing this? It seems like well, a, I was thinking like like typical like white sign with the wood just like <laughs> in circles and just like hailing it. Potentially Miami may go international depending on the momentum, but potentially. Maybe it's the streets of El Salvador in that, what is it, March 23rd? She might pick it fine. <laughs> All right. So now, now let's, uh, after that, now let's switch gears. Uh, Vivid over, memory. Over, over to MLS. Uh, a brief okay. update on Julian Araujo. Um, I, was, I was about to say LA Galaxy is Julian Araujo. Maybe we should say Barcelona soon. Because Barcelona's academy director, he announced that they've set an appeal on his transfer that was literally... 18 seconds too late to the and they're appealing to the court of arbitration for sport uh and they said that even if that's rejected they still plan on signing him this summer so lizzie your thoughts on this uh you know i talked to felipe recently about this and you know, we, we were discussing whether this is a dilemma that motivates him this season or it can also kind of does this negative negatively impact him too over the next few months but i'm curious to hear your thoughts I think it motivates him. I think he knows that European eyes are on him, both Mm -hmm. with directives, front office, head coaches, and also fans. I think this whole scandal really upped his recognizable name internationally. I guess people are talking about him now. People are talking about him a lot more. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, people, people are talking about him. I remember I did... I did an interview with him during All-Stars last year. It was around August where all the rumors were linking him to FC Porto, which we know obviously that didn't um, go about. But he was so excited to go to Europe. And a lot of that footage resurfaced this time around of Mm -hmm. his passionate and dedicated himself to that dream of going abroad, going abroad. And I spoke with him in January as well. What was it? I think it was the first week of January in San Jose. And he reaffirmed that he really, really wanted to go to Europe, that that's still his dream. The only concerning line for me was the fact that he knows that he can't get much more out of being an MLS technique wise. I think he's he knows that he's found his ceiling at MLS. Which I think would deflate him from performing to a certain extent, knowing that that transfer didn't go about. But I think he also realizes he has the platform right now to really excel and then propel a a future move. Yeah. It's also interesting because I know the team is dealing with a a couple, a lot, but a couple of (laughs) sanctions when it comes to transfers. I know they're more inbound than outbound, Mm -hmm. but I wonder how that'll, that'll affect it like summer window for the team himself and what Barca is trying to do. I know there was also a lot of conversations about Barca B or the first team. So mm-hmm. a little bit of a whirlwind for him, but I, I yeah. do want to hope that he uses this as a platform to grow and knowing him a little bit and the personality that he has, I know it won't go to his head. He's one of the most grounded players that I've, I've ever met Mm-hmm. So I think he'll use this as fuel. And we'll see how that goes. And especially since, you know, I think, can you imagine with the buildup to all of this and also with the, you know, behind the scenes with uh, Galaxy fans not being happy, you know, with Chris Klein and not being happy with how the team is right now. And then the first game that they're going to be having is at the Rose Bowl 
up against LAFC in El Tráfico. And there is going to be, oh man, there's going to be a lot of traffic. <laughs> so much traffic. Sometimes it was the, the roads down to the Rose Bowl, there's some really narrow ones and there's a lot of traffic. But that being said, the buildup to that game and that to that opportunity, and maybe they won't, maybe they'll try to keep him as a bench player because you know, it's it's been a little bit difficult, obviously, for him in recent weeks. But if he gets to start and if he has a big game, can you imagine what the conversation would be like about him after that? Can you imagine, I don't know, like this player who seems destined to be going to, to Barcelona and if he actually does have a really exciting start to the MLS season, I, I think that'd be really, really fascinating to see. I'm, and it's, and like you said, you know, now all eyes are on him. That's going to be one of the big talking points. Just even more so than the Chicharito versus Vela conversation. Yeah. I think I get, and maybe, maybe I'm a hundred percent in the wrong here, but there's a potential that the big talking point could be Araujo, <laughs> this yeah. guy who could, yeah, and this in 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 what could be his final run with with, with the Galaxy, and I don't know, it, it's it's something to to keep an eye on because it could be really interesting. Yeah, I think my biggest concern with the fact that he didn't go this transfer window over abroad was that Barcelona's interest would eventually fizzle out. I think there are a couple of months for him to see or the team to see other options, other players, other upcoming young figures. So that was initially my concern. So if he uses these couple of months to say, hey, all eyes on me still, and I'm proving to you why I can still be here, that's even more fuel, again, for the team to go and get him. Also, I think con el tráfico, you really need very little exterior factors to get motivated for that game specifically the rivalry is so intense the players know what they're doing and to have that at the rose bowl i i don't think you need absolutely anything else to be so pumped as a player especially to a certain extent as the underdogs because you're going against the reigning champions where also you're like enemies so i think you'll be excited i also um just got a notification that Potro Gutierrez was officially fired. There you go. Yep. Happened. So, okay. I love that it happened on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we love that. <laughs> well, it did look like that was going to be happening uh, at some point soon. You know, there were reports yesterday um, that Cruz Azul were maybe going to take, or ownership is going to take their time. They're going to think about whether they should fire him or not. And then, yeah, uh, before we started recording, it looked like it was inevitable, actually, that he was going to be fired, that he was set to be fired and out. It's uh, officially official. Another, another, another change in in Liga MX. Yeah. And if you if you believe some of the rumors, um, some people are saying that maybe Chepo de la Torre uh, might be uh, stepping in as a as a possible interim. We'll see if that happens as well. I know when people say Chepo de la Torre, they they think back to what happened with L3 back in 2013, and that was not a that was not a fun time uh, yeah. to watch to, to watch but... L3. But I also heard Jaime Lozano is also player. yes, yes. So I'm I'm rooting that way. <laughs> I'm <laughs> hoping he gets a chance. My ideal, obviously, is that he's given time with a major league MAPs team and has that potential to take them to the trophy and then remains in the spotlight for the national team. I think he made a mistake in not joining a part, even if it was with the youth team. Yeah. Yeah. For him. All right. So now let's close things out. With the Women's Revelations Cup, which kicks off this week, it'll be on uh, starts on Wednesday. It'll be in Leon. So, as opposed to other Revelations Cup tournaments, this will feature the senior women's national teams as opposed to a U23 setup. 
um, which is pretty important when you consider that El Tri Femenil uh, didn't qualify for, for the Women's World Cup. So, Lizzie, your thoughts uh, on this tournament? It seems, I mean, considering the El Tri Femenil aren't, aren't going to the World Cup, they need tournaments like this. And I think it's you know, a good opportunity for, for, for the Mexican women's national team. No, I, I completely agree. I think this should be used as a stepping stone for greater things and as practice. We need more of these tournaments for the for the national team, for the senior team. We need to see them come together as a team, have more opportunities to call players up, to have experience in these camps, to meld together, develop chemistry and those bonds. And we'll see next next cycle is just right around the corner. So as we talked about before the podcast, I continue to think CONCACAF's qualification system for the women's team is flawed, but we do have to step our game up on that end. And hopefully yeah. these tournaments will serve as just that, as practice. Yeah. And you can't overlook these uh, teams that Mexico will be going up against, you know, Colombia, Costa Rica, Nigeria. These are all teams that qualify for the Women's World Cup. That's something that Mexico were not able to do, obviously, you know. Colombia, their Copa America Feminine finalists last summer. Costa Rica, they finished fourth in the CONCACAFW uh, championship. You know, that was ahead of Mexico uh, last year. And then Nigeria, they finished fourth in the Africa Cup of Nations last summer. And let's not forget, they have Uchenna Kanu, who was an incredible, incredible striker. And we saw what she was able to do with Digitas Feminine. And now she's an NWSL, but a fantastic player. So something to keep an eye on. Uh, it's going to be kicking off, uh, like I said, this Wednesday. I'm pretty excited about it. And then after that, we'll see what happens uh, with the men's side. Because, yeah, in a short amount of time, Nations League matches are going to be uh, <laughs> coming up in March. And we'll see uh, what it's like for, for, the, for the men's side in a, in a new cycle. But uh, Lizzie, any other uh, final thoughts before we, 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 we close out? Um, just with the women's team, I think this tournament is particularly interesting in the fact that it's outside of a CONCACAF bubble. And it gives yeah. these players an experience to face other styles, other techniques, yes. and to learn from the situation. I think when we think of friendlies, we often opt or the Federation often opt for those easier opportunities or whatever works for the moment. Cause I know scheduling can be a nightmare and you can't travel so far with such short windows, especially if you didn't qualify for the world cup. So the urgency is just simply not there. So this opportunity to face teams you otherwise wouldn't in the approximate future is very exciting. I, I want to see yeah. how Mexico react, how Mexico learns most definitely. I think we have so much to learn from these teams. Step mm -hmm. one, they qualified and we did not. Um, but beyond how you adapt to these skills, we are so used to seeing such a different style for CONCACAF, both for men's and women's. I always laugh and say you need La Garra for CONCACAF, yeah. but for UEFA, you, you do, it does come down to the game and technique yes. and, and specific little details. So if Mexico can hone in on that and start learning, I, I do think sky's the limit, but I think it starts with these tournaments. Yeah, so fingers crossed, something to keep an eye on, like I said kicks off this Wednesday in Leon. Um, but I think that's it for us today. Thank you to Lizzie. Thank you to all the Thank listeners. You. Thank you to the producer for uploading this show. And uh, yeah, we'll see you all on the next episode of the Mexican Soccer Show. See you all around. Right.